Welcome to another episode of Don't Give Up Skeleton. I'm your host, Jeremy Greer. This week's guest is WeGraph, aka Kyle. Uh, I know WeGraph from the Duckfeed forum, and he's a really interesting dude. He's designing his own Bloodborne role-playing game uh, based around the Dungeon Worlds role-playing game. So uh, there's links to that in the show notes. There's links to his Let's Plays of Front Mission, his uh, five-hour-long near Automata discussion, and I promise you we actually do talk about Dark Souls mixed in with all of that and plus some Armored Core. Thanks, everyone, for listening. It means a lot. If you have time, hook me up with an iTunes review. If not, that's okay, too. Just enjoy the episode. Let's start at the very beginning. What is your? Uh, what was the first Souls game that you ever played? Was it Demon Souls or Bloodborne, or did you go? Did you have an early history with From Software? Uh, yeah, so I got Demon Souls at the U.S. launch. Um, so pretty early. Yeah, uh, it wasn't part of the community that imported the game, uh, but I heard. I think it was probably from message boards. It might have been like shoryuken.com forums or possibly SA that this game was kind of interesting. So I grabbed it from the local mall, uh, gave it a shot and I got I think I got through about half of Latria I got murdered on the Shrine of Storms and I went through the whatever the Blight Town equivalent is um, and didn't have a whole lot of fun with that and kind of was like ah it's okay like i had a friend who got so into right his hands with tendonitis uh-huh. um so i knew that it there was something about the game that was hooking people but in the my peer group like the one person that i recommended it to totally bounced off it like even more than i did because um he just found it too difficult um, sure. I was like, yeah. well, I told you it was hard, <laughs> but yeah, I just kind of got lost in the mix. And, uh, so yeah, when, uh, dark souls one was first coming out, I was like watching or sorry, I guess at that point reading the previews on like various websites and it sounded kind of interesting, but, uh, I just felt like I haven't finished demon souls yet, so I better not dive into this one until I do. And then it was always this thing that I sort of felt guilty about not playing, um, for quite a while, actually. What is it about gamers that do that? Like, I can't play this game that's came come out until I play and read. I can't until I play the three games that came before it and read the eight books that came before. It. <laughs> like, I do that too. Yeah, too. Like, it's a ridiculous thing. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I think in that case, what it really was was in the lead up to Dark Souls 1 launching, there was like that contingent of uh, sort of like early adopter Demon Souls people who were like, oh, this Dark Souls game, it doesn't look anything like Demon Souls and it's not going to be any good and all this kind of thing. And I think that kind of like scared me off of it a little bit. Um, that that might have been it. It's just what I recall. I can see that. Yeah. I mean, it's they're they're intimidating games. Um, it's you know just not even from a difficulty standpoint. Like it's just they're just obtuse. Like you know when your when your entire tutorial system in Demon Souls is a dead end hallway with messages on the ground. Like it's that's not a good way to teach someone how to play a game. You know. Yeah, I mean, I really did feel so. I I guess I should 
preface this with my history with From Software games. Sure. Because I actually have like a long history playing Armored Core. Um, so like the obtuse menu systems in Demon Souls weren't really what turned me off of it. Because um, I was kind of used to that from Armored Core. Uh, it was more like, you know, just the game was really strange. It was, you know, just the death system and the sort of pacing of the game, the atmosphere, all of these things were really kind of weird to me. And I don't think those are what would turn me off the game. It was, but it it did leave an impression as being like this really oddball sort of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was it? Um, can you explain to me the appeal of Armored Core games? I've had several people on the podcast that started like with Armored Core games or that like Armored Core games, and then I asked them, "Hey, should I play these?" And they have all told me no. <laughs> like I've never understood. Like, because I'm, I'm I like giant mechs. Like that that seems cool. Okay, but they just seem kind of ever from. And then this is all like I've never I've never played one myself, so I should I should preface all of this with that first. But they. I get the impression that they're just very clunky and um, for some reason in my mind, I associate it with something like Eve online. Like it's playing a spreadsheet as opposed to playing a game. Is that how they are? Or am I just totally off base? With um, that? Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's totally accurate. Having, having not played Eve online, I, I can't really comment too much on that, but mm-hmm. I can talk about my experience with that series. And um, I basically grabbed Armored Core, uh, the first game on PlayStation. It was uh, my Christmas present when it came out. Um, and I got introduced to that through like the PSN magazine. They did a little thing on it. I was like, wow, giant robots. That sounds great. Uh, and I was kind of into the first one. Um, I missed out on the second one because uh, I didn't have a PS2 like at launch. I, I got my PS2 pretty late. And then um, I think I played a bit of the third one. And then it was really when I got to Armor Core 4 Answer that I dove back into the series because I thought that was pretty great. So okay. I think the quality varies considerably. And I think this series exhibits the same sort of problems that the Dark Souls series does, where it gets progressively harder and harder. Um, not like from one to two to three, but like from three to to the three expansion to the second three third expansion and that kind of thing like the expansion packs tended to be or like what we would we would normally call like dlc now yeah it was on disc content at that time tended to get like increasingly absurd levels of difficulty so i think part of the negative um reputation of the series comes from the difficulty of those expansion things Mm -hmm. um and if you want to talk about like how how crunchy it is, like how math heavy it is, it's not really a question of math heaviness. It's more like learning what these different stats do, just like you do in um, Dark Souls, right? Uh, but then you have to do like a character build, quote unquote, um, for each mission that you go into. So you kind of like get a sense of what the mission's like. Um, and then go into your hangar and respec your uh, core, your armor core, um, and then go into the training mode, see if it feels good, and then you go try the mission. And then the missions are super short, so then 
there is that aspect where it's like half the game is doing your character build, mm-hmm. but it's not like a math thing. It's more of an intuitive kind of experience than that, I would say. Okay, so the joy is actually the preparation and the planning and the implementation as opposed yeah, to the Yeah, and then actual... they, like, the execution. Like, I love yeah. it when a plan comes together kind of thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of the um, the very original Tom Clancy Rainbow Six games, like, on PC. Yeah. Where you would, you know, you actually had, like, diagrams that you were doing and telling a dude to come here and guard this door. Like, it wasn't it wasn't the modern-day kind of AAA games that those have turned into. Like, it was much, much more about planning. And I was fucking horrible at those games, so I'd imagine I'd be well, far, it, far it, it honestly, It honestly isn't even as difficult as that, because because like I I was hopeless at the original Rainbow Six too. Um, because like I said, it's it's pretty intuitive and it just involves a lot of sort of iteration on a design. So it it's not like you have to like sit there and like scratch your beard and be like, hmm, yes, like my heat to weight ratio. Perhaps if I increased it by six percent, like that that isn't really how it plays out. It's more like look at the bars go up. And you kind of get a a sense of how it's going to play out. Gotcha. Um, okay. But but uh, you know, as for the people telling you not to play the game, um, I I think I've told you this before, but you know, Armor Core Four Answer I think is the best game in that series, and I think is worth playing because um, I think it's it's a pretty interesting game. Uh, it's very fast. Um, I've compared it like basically. For answer is to the like mainline armor core series as Bloodborne is to Dark Souls. Like it's uh, oh, so faster, it's, it's, more arcadey kind of experience. Yeah. So it's literally the best. <laughs> yeah, it is actually the best. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because five was like a mostly online only thing, and it wasn't super great so yeah i think for for answer is where the series peaked and that was also the um i guess the game in the series that miyazaki had the most influence over so i think personally it was probably an inspiration for where he took the design of bloodborne i can see that well let's mm-hmm. let's take it back to dark souls for a minute um sure so when we left off you you had kind of thought to yourself i should go finish demon souls before i start this brand new dark souls game did you is that what you ended up doing like did you force yourself to finish demons first uh no i i kind of gave it a college try uh just never finished it um what actually got me back into the series was uh, i think it was watching let's play of Dark Souls 2 on Northern Lion's YouTube channel and then him mentioning Epic Namebro and then going to watch Epic Namebro's uh, Let's Play of that game. And then that sort of got me interested in like the lore and, you know, even though ENB didn't finish that uh, playthrough of Dark Souls 2, um, it was still interesting enough for me to kind of get interested in the series again and uh, to the point that I would be willing to give it another try. Um, so I actually grabbed, uh, let's see, I went back to Demon Souls, didn't really do much with that, and I got uh, Dark Souls 1. Um, and I, yeah, actually, sorry, this this chronology is all kind of mixed up in my head, but what happened was I watched the EMB stuff, and then... Um, one way or the other, I got 
uh, turned on to listening to uh, Bonfireside Chat, and then I started my playthrough of Dark Souls 1 um, after having listened to the episode about the uh, Undead Parish, I think. Okay. Yeah. So you kind of had a, a working knowledge of these games before you really actively started playing them. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Totally. Like I had already read quite a bit about the lore and I'd seen the playthrough of Dark Souls 2. Um I hadn't watched any like video content about Dark Souls 1, but mm-hmm. I had listened to podcasts and stuff about it. Does um, that is that typical with your experience with games? Do you sometimes do you a lot of times research the games quite a bit before you start playing them cuz I know, like, with the internet culture that it is nowadays, it seems like everybody wants to go in completely blind, and or it's either, it's two ends of the spectrum, right? It's completely blind, I've never even seen the title of the game, just put it in my console and I'll play it, versus, you know, I've I've literally watched an entire playthrough on Switch before I started the game. Like, is that... Yeah, I mean, the only times I think I've really done that intentionally was with uh, Dark Souls 3... And maybe uh, to some extent near Automata, but you know, uh, mostly I think Dark Souls Three is the one where I was really trying to avoid spoilers as much as I possibly could. Uh, but you know, if it's an older game, then yeah, I've probably seen some video content of it beforehand. Like okay. my best example of that was I think FTL. Like, I watched Northern Lion play that so much before even touching it, and um, I actually managed to beat the game on easy my second time through just because I had watched so much <laughs> on YouTube. I still, I still to this day have not beaten that game, and I like it's it's one of the games that I go to, you know, when I'm like just kind of sitting in bed or something, and like I just trying to get to sleep, and you know, just want kind of want to you know mess around a little bit and just make a run because I know it won't take very long because I usually I'm just really terrible at that game. So <laughs> I was gonna say like actually those runs are pretty long. No, but no yeah. they're never yeah, they're never that die, long for then, me. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I've seen you play Destiny, Jeremy. I, I know how it goes. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I guess I'm not great at video games. Like young Jeremy is 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 probably rolling over in his you know young grave right now because yeah, I'm just not great at video games. <laughs> well, when you did start Dark Souls One, uh, did it click with you this time around? Like, did you did you kind of make some progress through it? Yeah, yeah. Like, um, I think that so thinking back to it, what actually happened was I. Started up the game, did the thing everybody does where you go die to the skeletons, um, went up the aqueduct, got into the undead parish, and then after finishing that, I think I listened to the bonfire side chat episode. Okay. So, um, yeah, it, 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 uh, like the, um, that whole first area of the game really clicked with me. I think it's still, you know, the sort of best designed area in the series and one of the best level designs ever. Um, and just, in a way that Demon Souls never really clicked with me, uh, Dark Souls was way more my thing. And I think part part of that had to do with me just sort of knowing what I was getting into. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of like, whoa, this game is like blowing my mind kind of thing. But it was a new experience, but one I had some background on, and I think that helped a lot. Gotcha. So just having that le- extra information kind of gave you the... the- not necessarily the arsenal, but it kind of gave you the edge you needed in the in the game to kind of make start making progress. Yeah, like I heard that like playing as a caster was like easy mode, so then mm-hmm. I tried to do that. I was playing like with a 
you know, sorcery build with like using some short sword. It was okay. It's funny that everyone goes to the casters being easy mode because I, th- I think casters are easy mode for people that have already played Dark Souls. <laughs> I don't necessarily think they're easy mode for people that start out because um, like the systems are, are so odd and getting used to the timings and, and things like that. And it's, you know, it's, it's ranged. So you do, you don't have to get up and mix it up with bosses and things, but also like mm-hmm. casting those spells, especially at the beginning, take a long time. If you want to do any real damage, like great heavy soul arrow is like a 45 minute process. It's like a fucking final fantasy summon basically. At the yeah, beginning of the game. Totally. <laughs> But um, but it's only for you know once you've played through the game and you you understand how uh, invincibility frames and rolling out of the way and hey now I don't need a shield so I can keep a weapon in my right hand and keep my catalyst in my left hand like that's when it becomes easy mode. So it's mm-hmm. it's always been odd to me to hear that for for new players and it's like it's I don't know it's just it's just always been odd. How um yeah I mean um I really had that experience to a much greater extent with Dark Souls two. Um, because I think my build in Dark Souls 1 was, like, reasonably well-balanced, um, but in, when I picked up Dark Souls 2, um, I kind of went on Reddit, and I was, like, looking for caster builds, like, hexer builds, because I heard hexer was easy mode, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, I found one, and I, like, you know, went on the Duckfeed Slack, and I was like, does this look okay? And then people were like, yeah, it looks fine, and then... I went through the game with that, and then when I was, like, towards the end, I think you were watching me play on uh, YouTube streaming, mm-hmm. and you were like, huh, this, this or it might have been you, might have been somebody else. I know you definitely watched me, like, finish up that game, but yeah. there were other people on there as well. And they're like, huh, this seems like some kind of challenge build that you're doing. And I was like, <laughs> I ran it by everybody in the Slack, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's fine. And actually, no, it's like I had, like, I would get killed in, like, one or at most two hits by pretty much anything by the end of the game. Um, so I don't think that was easy mode, uh, even though I was using hexes. So, yeah, just absolute glass cannon build. Yeah, it's it's weird what people end up being as end up classifying as easy mode for these games because um, I have a I have a friend of mine that I, actually he was the first guest on the show Kyle whose name is also Kyle um, <laughs> but uh, he's he's really actively struggled to get into Dark Souls two despite really enjoying all of the other games in the series uh, and it's. He messaged me on Discord the other day and was like, "How do I play this game so that it's fun? Like, I'm just not having any fun with it." And you know, and I gave him those two options: like, well, if you want a melee build, like you power stance maces, or if you want a hexer build, or if you want a caster build, like go hexes. Um, right. But but the problem with that, and the problem I ran into, is a hexer build is fine for the main game, but once you start getting into DLCs, they ramped all those resistances up, so you might as well just respec, which is easy, thankfully, in Dark Souls too, and. And yeah, Souls then, hearing is, that explains why I probably had zero fun with the DLC in Dark Souls Two. It's just like I just it, it, you know like how people are complaining about the um, the Ring City DLC. Mm-hmm. That was pretty much my experience going into the DLC in Dark Souls Two. Just like oh, I have to be level one hundred and twenty. Uh, okay, maybe I just won't play this. Um, <laughs> yeah, because you know I was a hexer and my spells were totally ineffective. So yeah, yeah I just it's... I didn't know there was a resistance issue there that was the cause of that. I just thought that From Software was cruel and sadistic. 
I mean, it's just, it's one, I mean, they are that, especially when it comes to DLCs nowadays. Like, it's not, yeah. <laughs> it's also that. It's just, yeah, they, they ramp resistances up to any kind of magic damage so much that you want to just respect a pure physical. And even then, like, the, they gave these guys, they gave the enemies, I'm specifically thinking of the uh, Sunken King DLC, and they just gave them, like, you know, yeah, that poise. was the first one I did because I heard it was the best. So yeah. I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And Man, yeah, I'd have, I'd have a hard time <laughs> choosing what the best is, and that like I'd probably go with the the frozen one. Did you did you end up playing all of Dark Souls two? By the way, I don't I don't remember. I remember watching you play like the end, but I don't remember if it was the DLC. Uh, I finished the main uh, the main game of Scholar. Okay, yeah, I, I tried the DLC briefly and was like, no, <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> How far did you get into Dark Souls one? Um, yeah, I got to uh, the Anorlando Archers, and then I died about 45 times, and then I uninstalled the game, and I'm never going to play it again. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember that. Like, I, I specifically remember watching you stream that, so that's why I wanted to bring it up. Um, yeah, like... I, I just remember you getting incredibly frustrated. <laughs> I don't, I don't care what people say. It's not good. It's not good. It's not good. So, yeah, just... Um, Definite inability to uh, roll in the proper way and parry in the proper way there uh, sealed my fate. And also just, uh, it was partially my fault in that I wasn't using poison arrows um, because I was like, I'm a caster. I don't do that. Um, I had this idea of like, you know, playing a character build and uh, it really sabotaged my playthrough, I think. Uh, But I still maintain that that is not wonderful game design at all it's you know it's and and here's the thing that's annoying about dark souls fans is that it's hard for everybody the first time through like the people that i know that have told me oh yeah i just i just breezed right through the archers and which which people have told me that on this podcast like oh yeah i had no problem like i think liam told me like oh yeah that was easy i just went right through it and maybe patty stardust from twin humanities but um sure sure like for a majority of people this is a huge stopping point and it's set up in such a way where even if you get past the first gauntlet, like the second phase of that, where you have to fight the silver knight with the other silver knight kind of firing arrows behind you, you just kind of have to, that's the hard part. Exactly. And you, you have to intuit that, Hey, once I get a certain, to a certain point, like that, that other archer is not going to kind of screw with me, but you still have to deal with the silver knight, which is one of the toughest enemies you've seen in the game up to that point. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's very strong. It could kill you in two hits. You're on a ledge. It's easy to fall. You're used to dodging around, which you cannot do like reliably in that, in that area. So even for people, for dark souls, people that had problems with it, like once they do it once and once they figure out like, Oh, you just roll, you know, run up, run to the right, roll once to miss the arrow. Pair the Silver Knight, kick him off the ledge, yeah, and, and then this run was around. Like even having watched videos, like multiple videos of how to do it correctly on YouTube, I still couldn't pull it off. So. And, and that's, yeah, and so now, what's what's interesting to me is now it's easy, right? Like all any kind of big Dark Souls person is like, oh yeah, all you do sure. is da 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 da. But for a first time player, it's incredibly frustrating. Yeah, um, yeah, it's just uh, not really worth it. So. Uh, and you're never going yeah. back. That, that's going to be the thing that kills Dark Souls One for you. Yeah, I mean, I played through the first section of the game, which is really the part 
that's worth playing. So <laughs> I don't feel any need to go back and play it again. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I mean, uh, the, uh, yeah, like I maintain that, you know, that first section of Dark Souls one is one of the best designed areas ever in a video game, but I don't really feel like that's the case for a lot of the rest of the game. So, I mean, there's a lot of games to play out there. So, yeah. So going chronologically, do you get this far in Dark Souls 1? Do you quit? Obviously, you went to Dark Souls 2, and we've played a majority of that. Yes. Um, at I this got point- to Dark Souls 2, and um, yeah, uh, I played Scholar, right? So I didn't play the original Dark Souls 2. I played Scholar. And uh, uh, when I first started playing that game, um, I was pretty disappointed, I think. Um it the lore stuff wasn't super important to me like you know i i i liked the lore from dark souls one uh but and there there are games where i've gone really deep into the lore um and you know like i did spend hours on wikis reading this stuff so Mm -hmm. it was it, it was grabbing me but i don't think that i had an emotional connection to it on any level um it's just I found the level design in Dark Souls 2 pretty disappointing outside of a few standout areas that really were like, okay, this is solid. Like, I mean, for me personally, I think that um, Huntsman's Cops was really fantastic and I had a great time playing that. Um, that's probably the the best best area in my opinion in that game. Which is which is also interesting because it was the area that they first showed off. Like that was the network test area for way before dark soul. Even the vanilla game came out. So it's obviously the the area that they probably worked on first for this game. Right. Yeah. And I I think it, it, it has a lot of polish. The spacing of everything feels very good. There's a lot of variety in the types of environments you run into. Um, I mean, there's just a lot of really good things to say about that area. I think it's it's very, very well designed. Um, and I'm not saying Dark Souls 2 is a bad game, okay? <laughs> Before everyone, you know, starts throttling me, I'm just saying it's a pretty good game. That's all. It's like, it's, it's you know, it's like it's an 8. It, it's, yeah, it's probably about an 8 for me. And it, it it's like... Uh, I think one of the big things about uh, Scholar specifically that annoyed me a lot was the uh, petrified uh, gating thing. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. As someone who came like, from vanilla, like that was just horrifying. Yeah. I, I hated that so much. Yeah. And I, I really didn't like, uh, what is it? The, like, it's not asylum. It's the, the tower area um, where they've, they've imprisoned the, uh, the hollows uh you go through it a whole bunch the best deal like adjacent to the uh lost center the best deal right yeah the lost best deal i really hated that area a lot i, I didn't like that at all um and i think that's like specifically a scholar thing like i think they kind of screwed up the design of that area with the changes they made in scholar at least that's the impression i get um and then of course playing a uh a caster the uh whatever those those twin uh, bosses are uh they weren't super kind to me <laughs> <laughs> yeah so generally not not positive feelings about those areas um 
Shrine of Amana was a sticking point, but people on the Slack saved me by teaching me to use a bow. Um, so that was kind of okay. Um, and yeah, there's there's some good stuff. Is it hard for you in these games to get caught up into... Because you mentioned this with Dark Souls 1 as well, to get caught up in kind of playing your character. So uh, Because I do that too. When I got to the Shrine of Armana, everyone was like, well, just use a bow and snipe them. And I was like, but my character doesn't use a bow. Goddamn, come on. <laughs> like, I yeah, like, I think I'd learned my lesson from uh, Anne Orlando though, right? Mm-hmm. Like um, when people were like, use a bow, I was like, okay, like uh, I'll give it a shot. Um, I've never used a bow in a Dark Souls game before, but I'll, I'll try it. And then I was like, okay, this bow outran- outranges my magic projectile for some reason. Fine, whatever. You know, I'll be bow caster. I, I'm not saying I was happy about it, but I was just, I lived with it, got on with my life. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, how involved you said you were reading stuff and you like seen lore videos and obviously you and i met via the the duck feed slack so like you obviously listen to bonfire side chat and all of that like how sure. much of the story do you get into like are you are you kind of fascinated with this stuff because dark souls 2 probably has the thinnest plot out of all of them um but you know, um, were you yeah the dark souls 2 plot i mean you know as has been said is is a bunch of short stories i did feel like they didn't really amount to a whole lot um but some of them are kind of interesting. I mean, I just, it's just there, you know, like okay. it's, uh, I didn't get into the dark souls two plot very much at all is what I'm saying. Gotcha. Uh, the dark souls one grabbed me more. Um, and then, uh, the one that I actually really got into was uh, bloodborne, even though that's a game I haven't played. I've watched playthroughs of it and like listened to bonfire side chat and read up on the lore stuff. And, I've read or I've I've looked through like the art book and all that kind of stuff, and I even like uh, started designing an RPG based on it. Yeah, um, we're gonna we're gonna get into that in a minute because I want to pick your brain on that. But um, is yeah, it is the because yeah. I know you as pretty much a PC grant gamer. Is that the only reason you haven't actually played Bloodborne yet? Is because it's on PS4 only? Uh, yeah, it's like ninety percent because it's a PS4 exclusive, and ten percent because I don't like grinding and the idea of grinding kind of bums me out so mm-hmm. yeah but you know it's like 90 percent. like uh the playstation now service is going to start um offering uh ps4 games and i'm really hoping bloodborne's on that list uh because uh i'll probably try to give it a shot uh, through that um because that's coming out pretty soon here what um when you talk about grinding with bloodborne are you just specifically talking about blood vials and things yeah exactly just because i've heard so many people complain about it it's um i, I think a lot of those complaints came from early in the game's life where uh, you would, cause you have, you can only hold 20 blood vials like on your character. And then you had a mm-hmm. storage thing that which allowed you to basically stock 99. And anytime you died and respond, it would replenish from that stock. So at any point okay. you can only be holding like 130 blood vials and they've since changed that to like 600 in your storage. So if okay, you, so there's still grinding, but you can kind of just like do it and be done, right? Well, and and really, I don't even think you need to grind. Like the problem with the vanilla version is, if you were playing well, and you know you weren't using blood vials and you were actively using your regain system to get your health back, mm-hmm. um, you could get into a situation, and I've done this before, where I would try to pick up an item and it would be five blood vials, but I couldn't put them anywhere because my storage was full. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, you're just running a surplus. Exactly. Now with the change, and I've and I've started from the beginning with new builds since the change, and obviously I know a little bit about going into the game since I played it before. 
But, you know, you level up twice and then you go over to the thing and you just buy 50 blood vials or 100 blood vials with however many echoes that you have left over. And, that you know, that just goes into your storage. So at any time during the game, the the only time that you'll have to grind is if you run into a boss that you really fucking can't just can't win. And that's that's when that's when the blood vial system breaks down. And a lot of times that's when the regain system breaks down, which is, in my mind, inexorably linked with one another because... With mm-hmm. these giant bosses, like thinking of a Breedus, which is the one that I had the most problems with, um, you, you can't yeah. you can't take advantage of a regain system. Like it's just impossible almost. So, yeah, that does seem like a really unfortunate uh, design problem. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you're you're hoping to play Bloodborne. What like what is it about the Bloodborne? Is it the aesthetic and the story? Like, are you a Lovecraft fan that kind of pulled you in, even despite you not having actually played the game? Um, I'm not a huge Lovecraft fan, but I guess it's just so well realized in that game aesthetically. And then uh, I think like the the themes about you know those Lovecraftian themes about pursuing knowledge without limit and how destructive it is uh, really resonated with me because you know. Um, I guess like Liam, I had a pretty hard time with grad school Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh, I don't, I don't think that was necessarily why he was engaged in it. But for me, at least it was like, you know, I was reading about people like uh, Helmholtz, uh, who I believe if I'm not uh, misremembering this, uh, you know, he basically was driven to suicide by his research um, into physics because it just, didn't square with him uh, or uh, you know, the, the times when like uh, like non-Euclidean geometry was a very controversial issue and, and like why people were so upset about it. And just personally, like seeing my health and my personal relationships being damaged by my obsession with, you know, studying. Mm-hmm. So like all of that stuff about like uh, the, um, Bergenworth College, uh, and just I guess the backstory you see in the old hunters and stuff was all, it was all pretty resonant with me, even though you know I wasn't committing any atrocities or human experimentation or anything like that. <laughs> it still it really spoke to me in a way that the uh, the Dark Souls games didn't on a personal level, even though I find them uh, kind of engaging on a more abstract level. You know, yeah, interesting. So, like the just the appeal of that forbidden knowledge and like that you know the pursuit of knowledge driving you insane is is kind of the the attraction there. Yeah, just like seeing the whole world being destroyed by the pursuit of knowledge without any limit or mm-hmm. like reflection on the consequences of what was being done. Um, you know, it's it's like it, it. I think it exemplified a real sort of danger that I felt in my life and helped me to kind of. Uh, think through that and work through it so i think it was kind of therapeutic on that level for me um and i think that you know the dark souls games changed the way that i thought about video games everybody says that i guess but um i think the bloodborne i think bloodborne specifically was the one that actually had like a more meaningful um impact on uh my life and the way i thought about it Interesting. That's it's really fascinating hearing that, considering that you haven't actually played it. Like you've just kind of absorbed it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, just watching it is enough, you know. <laughs> or, or listening to the whole season on Bonfire Side Chat too, which I thought was a really good season. So, 
that maybe you know I, I have a special place in my heart for Dark Souls one because it's my first Souls game, and that's the the game that I've definitely put the most hours into. Um, mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, and I've talked about this before, like you said, the Dark Souls one, dark, the Dark Souls games changed the way you think about games. Like Dark Souls one literally changed the way that I approach life itself. Like it's ridiculous. Like that's a dumb, like mm-hmm. stupid thing to say, but it's absolutely true. Like this podcast would not be a thing if it wasn't for Dark Souls one. Oh yeah, for sure. But the the Bloodborne season of Bonfire Side Chat is just so much fun. Like hearing those guys just fall in love with that game over and over again is just so fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there were there were there were some issues that they they had with the game, but in general, I think that they were really into it and uh, brought an interesting critical perspective to it. So I enjoyed that a lot. Well, I guess that's going to yeah. take us right into Dark Souls three. And if I remember correctly, Dark Souls three is uh, like you you played the hell out of Dark Souls three, right? Uh yeah, I I played it a fair bit. Like, I mean, again, I'm not. I never came to this series to replay these games a whole ton of times, and I think that affects my view of Dark Souls two considerably because a lot of the thing that people say is so great about Dark Souls two is the replay value in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never like after getting as far as I did in Dark Souls two, I never felt like oh I have to play this again. Um, so with Dark Souls three, like I played through it and I had a fantastic time, uh, but when I started new builds, um, I only played through about like half the game, I guess I got up to like, uh, uh, Irithyll. Okay. Yeah. So you mean so, dark souls three this entire time? Oh yeah. Sorry. Dark souls, souls three. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I didn't know if you were just making a comparison point, so I didn't want to interrupt you. No, 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 no. That's right. Um, yeah, but you know, the first time I played through it, I, I really had a great time with the game and, uh, I, I just, I just love the way it played and I felt like a lot of the areas were uh, well designed on a fairly consistent level in a way that I didn't really find in the other games where like Dark Souls 1 there are some really really high highs uh, and then there's some kind of questionable decisions uh, here and there too. Uh, and then Dark Souls 2, I found there were like a couple really good ones and then generally just sort of pretty average. Um, but Dark Souls 3, I felt like it was, you know, you go from one area to the next and the level design is like sufficiently engaging uh, that I just felt like it was a good experience with pretty much every area except for the uh, profane capital, which I, I, I really did not uh, like at all. <laughs> um, you mentioned going into dark souls three as blind as possible uh, earlier yeah. in the show um was that a like what led to that decision after you know kind of absorbing everything about bloodborne and dark souls 2 and that kind of stuff like, um, what, what led into just trying to go into it blind yeah i think it was uh partially just uh like enb deciding to do that and it's seeming like a good idea to me because mm-hmm. it was like it's a thing I experienced with Demon Souls, uh, but you know I didn't go into Demon Souls with much player knowledge of like how to play the game, so I was interested to see what it would be like going into a Dark Souls game uh, fresh but still like competent, you know? Okay, how did that affect your enjoyment of the game? Do you think? Um, I think it really did affect my enjoyment of the game because when, 
uh, I played uh, the Painted World of Ariamis. Mm-hmm. I went into that blind as well, um, and I had a, I would say, a much better time with it than probably most people did. Uh, but uh, with uh, the Ring City, I, you know, kind of slept on it because I was playing near Automata, and that was just really I wanted to get through that because I I was really engaged with that game and uh, got to get all twenty six endings right. No, no, I'm not that kind of player. I'm not a completionist. <laughs> I just wanted to finish the game, right? Uh, How fucking good is Nier Automata, Kyle? Jesus Christ. Well, I just did a huge, what was it? I think four and a half hour spoiler cast with Fletch about it. So, did you really? Uh, oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to put that together right now. And, and I guess for people listening, it'll be up on my YouTube channel. So oh, that's great. Uh, uh, yeah, I, but I, I, uh, I, I, love, I love that game. And I think, I think, you know, just as an aside, I think that game does like the sort of cycle story in a way that like it succeeds at that in a way that Dark Souls never really did Um, because it's just like we're going to tell a story and it's going to conclude and then it does and it's really good. So yeah, like that was really satisfying for me. But anyway, it's playing that and then I heard from everybody that, uh, you know, the the Ring City was this kind of nightmare level um, and there were some murmurings that it was reminiscent of Andor Londo, and I was just like, oh no, I thought that was the thing that you guys learned not to do in this game. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I just, I haven't even, like, I played it for like, I don't know, 20 minutes, and I was like, uh, whatever, like, just nah, nah, maybe someday, but not now. Uh, so, like, I, if, if I had just listened to the, the negative reception to The Painted World, I might have never even given it a try. And I had a good time with The Painted World, so I think going in blind has a certain amount of value where you don't come in with a prejudice about it. Yeah. What did you, uh, like, what's your overall opinion on Dark Souls 3? Because it's such a controversial um, opinion right now. For Yeah, like, I think that uh, I think a lot of the things I really appreciated about Dark Souls 3 seem to have been ruined by uh, the Ring City. <laughs> so, for example, uh, the decision not to have an, an Orlando slash uh, uh, Shrine of Amana level in the game, I was like, oh yeah, you know, they learned something. That's cool. And then they're like, no, how, do, how about we make the whole thing that uh, for the last level? So, so you know, my idea that maybe they learned something about level design even though other things were not very good uh seems to have that thesis seems to have fallen apart completely at this point so um i think that that makes my impression of the game as a whole much worse uh but again i haven't played through the whole thing of ring city so my opinion might change um what um because i have i haven't seen any of the in orlando comparisons um what, oh yeah, what? just the idea that like the angels are shooting at you, and then this causes like oh, movement okay. problems. Okay, so you have to like the I, I, I didn't think about the archers in, in Orlando kind of impelling yeah. you to to run through an area, which is pretty different from a, a pretty different strategy. Yeah, and the and the angels do the exact same thing; they want you to run through that whole area. So okay, I got you. Yeah, so I, I think that's the idea there, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think I was a big defender of Dark Souls Three. Um, I did have a very good time with the sort of vanilla experience and also with the painted world. But the thing I have to point out is that I think I sunbrowed almost all the bosses in the game. So 
that makes my experience of the game very different from most people, right? Oh, yeah. Like, what I was interested in the game for was doing those areas between bosses, and I found those to be a lot of fun. Um, And then another thing was, like, I guess I had a build that worked fairly well, and I just lucked into that. So... Again, that colors my experience of the game a lot, too, where my first impression was fairly positive because my build wasn't garbage, right? Sure, yeah. I mean, it's garbage now because they nerf luck builds, but back then it was not. (laughs) Well, I mean, my build was just, uh, it was a, you know, dexterity, like Katana with with just using um, Hidden Body and, uh, and, uh, what's the other one, Spook? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that um, that's what Dark Souls Three turned into for me, is because mm-hmm. I started out as a caster build because I really like caster builds, and uh, very quickly uh, realized that that was not good. So, I joke yeah, now, and it, I, like it just turned into Sonic for me. I was literally just like hiding myself and running as fast as I could through levels. It was insane. Yeah, I I, did, I wouldn't say I did that. It felt more like I was playing Metal Gear or something. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of that sneaking feeling. And then, like uh, like I said, I went into the game blind, so I lucked into that decision, right? Like, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this build because I've done caster builds in Dark Souls 1 and 2, and I don't really feel like doing a caster again, but I kind of like magic, and the sound sorcerers of Venheim are pretty cool, so I'm going to do one of those. Yep. Yeah. So, again, just a lot of luck colored my opinion of the game a lot, I think, um, and gave me a very positive impression. But uh, I, I had a good time with that. I remember when the game first came out and, like, it wasn't decided that the game was just this horrible mess of plot spaghetti. Um, <laughs> I had a lot of fun kind of puzzling through lore stuff. I, I, like, bought the Japanese strategy guide and I was, like, translating things for people and stuff out of that. Um, to check to see what the translation issues were with the game. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a lot of fun, too. I must uh, have sent that paste bin that you put in the Slack to, like, 10 different people of all of the yeah. translations, because <laughs> it was it was so useful to, like, if, you know, anytime an argument would come up about, like, what the what a particular item description or a lore bit or, you know, whatever was, what actually meant, like, having a, an actual translation of that and not just a localization of that could be very, very powerful. As we've seen, you know, Vadi has used, leaned on that a little bit for some of his videos as well. Like, it can just color your opinions um, and color how you look at that stuff. Yeah, and, uh, like, I tried doing the same thing with uh, Near Automata a little bit, but mm-hmm. uh, basically the translation seemed to be, like, bang on there. I mean, 8.4 does a good job, so... Nice. It wasn't wasn't quite as interesting, but, you know, it was, it was still kind of interesting to say, oh, yeah, like, these guys do a good job. So. <laughs> well, let's talk, uh, before we wrap up, I want to hear about your Bloodborne board game, because... Um, I I uh, somehow I, forgot to buy the official Bloodborne board game, so I need to go rectify that at some point. And go buy it because I just I just love the art, way the artwork looks. But um, you're you're designing one from the ground up. That's correct. Yeah. So like um, or by the Bloodborne board game, do you mean the card card game? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah so I played that. Um, I just to because I was working on my own thing, I wanted to see how they they adapted the game, and uh, I. You know, it's a fine game, but it's it's. I don't think it's a great adaptation. <laughs> okay. Uh, compared to something like uh, the Game of Thrones uh, 
uh, card build or deck builder game, uh, like where they actually like really like work the themes of the series into the decks and like the houses and like there's that synergy between like narrative points and mechanics that is just like really satisfying. And I didn't really get that at all from the Bloodborne uh, board game. Uh, it's just you know it was a it's a fine game, but it doesn't feel very Bloodborne. Um, but yeah, so I was working on a hack of Dungeon World. Uh, do you know Dungeon World at all? Um, I know probably enough to get myself in trouble, but let's just assume that all of our listeners have no idea what you're talking about and kind of give us a, yeah, a, a okay. top-down so, view of it. Uh, so Dungeon World is a tabletop role-playing game um, similar to Dungeons & Dragons in some ways. Um, basically it was taking ideas from Dungeons and Dragons on the one hand and this other, uh, indie role-playing game called Apocalypse World on the other and mashing them together to see what would come out of that. Because, you know, these people who created Dungeon World had a whole lot of affection for D&D as something that was like their roots in role-playing, but they wanted to create a game that would be uh, more focused on actual like character stories and role playing and all of these kind of things that D and D doesn't do very well. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know it's become quite popular for an indie role playing game. Like uh, if you want to watch uh, Friends at the Table, like uh, Austin Walker's. RP or actual play uh, podcast, they're playing Dungeon World right now. Okay. Um, and that's literally uh, my only experience with Dungeon World because I think they, is that what they played on the Waypoint stream? Like they're, That's they're right. Of, yeah, they had Adam Koble on there running the game and he he was uh, one of the co-creators of, uh, of Dungeon World. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, so basically I was taking Dungeon World as the base and then trying to hack that in order to adapt some of the setting and ideas and themes of Bloodborne into a different game. Um, and I, I called it uh, Yarnum Sunset uh, because, you know, there's that ending that's like Yarnum Sunrise where you just sort of uh, go your own way and, and don't uh, continue the uh, hunt. Like mm-hmm. if if you choose the there's one of those endings where it's like you just kind of go on with your life, right? Yeah, yeah. So that you got that one is like you submit to German and he cuts your head off and you wake up basically. Right. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. So so I was like going to call it Yarnum Sunset because it's set before the events of the actual game, like when Yarnum is on the way down, but it hasn't quite reached the bottom yet. And the reason why I chose to do that is because it would allow for there to be more of a actual like society around the characters that they could interact with. Um, Whereas if you played the game at the point that the actual video game is set, uh, there's almost nobody left, right? (laughs) They're all just like holed up in their houses and everything's really just gone to shit. So it's not super interesting if you want your characters to have people to talk to. and so uh basically the game it did it hasn't really got out of alpha yet. I'm still working on it. Um I hope to work on it some more in the future. Uh but 
what I really have there are some adaptations of the rules around insight and uh, beasthood from the video game okay. uh, for the dungeon world system. And then a few classes that your uh, characters can play. So there's the, uh, the Bergenworth scholar, uh, the healing church cleric and the hunter that you can play. Um, and uh, they each have unique moves that they can do um, in order to uh, play the game. And you can go do chalice dungeon crawls, or you can do uh, factional infighting between these different groups, like the the you know the the college and the healing church, and you know the choir and the the school of mensis and all that kind of thing. So yeah, it's kind of the idea there. Cool. Are, is that out in the world anywhere? Like, are you? Um, it's still in alpha, so uh, I'll definitely like give you a link you can drop in the show notes okay. uh, to what I have so far. Uh, but uh, I am even thinking of dropping Dungeon World and moving to a different system for the next iteration of the game because there are some things about Dungeon World that don't exactly mix with the idea of your characters just kind of going off the rails and losing their minds or becoming beasts. Gotcha. Uh, that The game's more sort of like built to have your traditional D&D sort of progression where your characters are getting better as they go through the game instead of worse. Um so may use a different system that actually helps to reflect that sort of degeneration and uh, everything falling apart sort of idea. So very much a work in progress. Yeah, yeah. Like like I said, you know, it was it was alpha. It was like good enough to do a play test, but it's it needs a lot of work still. Okay. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for spending some time with me this morning. I know it's not morning where you're at, but it's early in the morning here. But uh, thank you very much for spending an hour with me to this morning and talking about some Dark Souls. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, so the best place to probably find me on the internet is my YouTube channel. Uh, it is uh, Ygraph9009. Uh, so that's W-I-E-G-R-A-F 9009. Uh, and you can find a whole bunch of Let's Plays I've done there. Um, FFT, uh, Rebirth, uh, Front Mission 5, which is something I translated. I've been working on Front Mission 1 Let's Play, um, and also some just odds and ends, like I did a, a playthrough of the uh, Bloodborne uh, board game with some of the Duckfeed community members. Um, and of course, that uh, very extensive spoiler cast with Fletch, uh, who was a previous guest on this show, mm-hmm. uh, will be coming out there. And by the time of airing this episode, I suppose, uh, will definitely be available. Excellent. And well, thank uh, you. if you want to find me on Twitter, it's uh, uh, Ygraph with an underscore at the end. Uh, but I'm not super active on there. Okay. And you can find all of those links in the show notes. As always, I've been your host, Jeremy Greer. You can find me on Twitter at JG Greer. You can find the podcast at don'tgiveupskeleton.com. That has links to all of our social media. It has links to all of the previous episodes. Um, You can also check us out on Instagram, where I put up 30 to 60 second clips of each episode the day they go up, so you can kind of get a quick preview of the episode and see if you're going to enjoy it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. It's really, really appreciated. If you have time, leave us an iTunes review or maybe recommend it to your Dark Souls friends. It would um, means a lot to me, and it makes the show grow, and that's always a good thing. 
remember, don't give up, skeleton. And we're good. All right. Thanks. It was exactly an hour that we're talking here. <laughs> oh, great. Like literally <laughs> one hour. <laughs> That's hardly.